hello and welcome to our seventh episode of Three Orange Whips. My name is Emily and firstly I want to say a special hello to our international listeners. When I first started this podcast I didn't think that anyone outside of Melbourne would be listening to it so the fact that we have listeners from the US and Europe and beyond is just awesome so thank you for coming on board. It has been a long time since our last recording, so it is only fitting that we return to you with a bumper episode of Epic Proportions, and what better film to match this epic scale than the one and only Troy. Directed by Wolfgang Peterson, this movie was released in 2004 and received huge box office success. Currently, it rates a solid 7.2 on IMDb, but only 54% on Rotten Tomatoes, suggesting that there is division among the critics as to how worthy this film is. Troy takes its inspiration from Homer's epic ancient Greek poem, The Iliad. When the daring and devilishly handsome Trojan prince Paris, Orlando Bloom, absconds with the beautiful and alluring queen of Sparta, Helen, Diane Kruger, he provokes the wrath of her husband, Menelaus, who asks his brother Agamemnon to raise an army, attack the city of Troy, and retrieve Helen. Among the Greek armies is Achilles, played by a brooding Brad Pitt, and on the Trojan side we have Australia's own Eric Banner as Prince Hector, and fellow Aussie Rose Byrne plays Briseis, a Trojan priestess who is taken prisoner by the Greeks. Fantasy fans may also rejoice in the appearance of Sean Bean as the wily king of Ithaca, Odysseus. Troy looks fantastic on a big screen, with cinematography by Roger Pratt, who also worked on Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, and with a moving musical score by James Horner, who also did Titanic and Avatar, and with many epic battle scenes, you're also going to want to turn the volume up when you watch it. The screenplay was written by David Benioff, who is best known for his work on Game of Thrones. Joining me for my foray into the world of Troy is the wonderful Elizabeth Blue, who shares my enthusiasm for all things classical. Elizabeth is also working on some really cool podcast projects of their own, so go and check out their Instagram at eeblue, that's e.e.blu. Sit back and relax as Beth and I dissect this timeless tale of rage, war, and glory. Okay, so welcome to our special, I think we can call this our isolation episode of Three Orange Whips. My name is Emily and I am joined by a very special guest. I am here with Elizabeth Blue. Hello. Welcome, Beth. And Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome anytime. Thanks for um, being willing to delve into the world of ancient Greece with our film for today, which is the 2004 Wolfgang Peterson film, Troy. I'm so excited. It's one of my dear, dear favorite films. And you, although, so we're both massive fans of classical mythology and ancient Greece, However, I was shocked to discover that you hadn't watched Troy in its entirety in a long time, if I, at all. I don't know if I've watched it in, in its entirety, and I'm, I must have watched it release year if I did. That's a long time ago. Yes. <laughs> many, many moons ago. In the time it's been since I've watched this movie, we could have had a Trojan War of our own. So. Oh, we, actually, we could have. Yeah. Yes. And, and we could have made it halfway home. For as far as Odysseus goes? Yes. He'd be halfway home. I'd be chilling with Cersei right now, which frankly is the (laughs) best. Great isolation vibes. Great isolation vibes. So appropriate. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to give you this cover. This is the DVD cover. Tell me, what are your first impressions? Well, looking at the cover, it's got all of the key things that, you know, every Troy fan would want. 
Um, but yes, what I see is Brad Pitt, Eric Banner, Orlando Bloom. So you know what you're getting in for, pretty boys. Yeah. Um, then there's some spears and there's a lot of work's been done on the hair. Uh, I think oh, the hair the is going to... the hair. The hair in this film, Beth, is just glorious. I was saying to you earlier that it could be used as a commercial for curly hair. Or Great. a promotion for curly hair. We need more curly hair in media. We do. Yeah. We absolutely do. Yeah. As a curly, curly girl myself, um, well, not a girl, but curly person myself, uh, <laughs> Okay, it's giving me mad Xena vibes. Oh, the cover. Yes. Yeah, I'm getting flashbacks to Xena. Mm. Good flashbacks. I, I, yes, I was a fan of Xena back in the day. Of course, we were both fans of <laughs> Xena. <laughs> and it's also a Wolfgang Peterson film, and I don't recognize that name. Yes, so Wolfgang Peterson is the director. Mm-hmm. What else has he done? Okay, so Wolfgang Peterson. Since Troy, he's only made two other films. Uh, one film called Poseidon in 2006. And another called Four Against the Bank in 2016, neither of which I have seen or really heard of. I guess some films that our listeners may have heard of. He directed the movie Outbreak in 1995. He directed The NeverEnding Story, Mm. 1984. I'm sure lots of um, Generation X fans have excited by that. And of course, there was (laughs) Hans Ingluck, Ingluck, the classic Oh, the classic we all know and love. Yeah. The um, TV so movie sim- of 1976. So German directing a story loosely based on the Iliad, an ancient Greek classic poem. But she's German as well, which would explain why ah, she's in the movie. Maybe that explains Diane Kruger's casting. Yeah. I'm sure she's very good. We haven't seen it yet, so we don't know. So she, she's probably, well, you're giving me a facial expression that indicates that she's not very good. No, 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 no. She is lovely and she's one of my favorite actors of all time. But no, I was just, I just had a funny expression because I have probably seen this film at least 15 times, I would say. So I should be able to, to describe her performance. I think she gives a good performance. I think it's really interesting that when you're told to describe how many times you've seen this <laughs> when we're recording... Yes. You say 15, but when you tell me in private, you say 30. Did so I say 30? You said 30. Okay. Well, look, realistically, it's probably 15, but I wouldn't be surprised if the number was higher. <laughs> so, I mean, I would say 30, but I wouldn't want to brag in case there are any other super fans out there who have seen this. So, would you describe yourself as a super fan? Of this film? Yes, I would, definitely. Yeah? Yeah, it's one of my favorite films. So, it came out in 2004. I was 10 years old at the time. Too young to probably watch... <laughs> the whole thing. Um, and I can't remember when my first experience was watching it, but I was probably, I think I was in year seven. And on the school bus, we had a bus that had a video player. Oh my God. And a little TV screen at the front of the bus near the driver. Which everyone had to cream everyone next had to, to watch. Oh, next to watch. Memories. And one day someone just happened to bring along Troy on video. Wait, you were allowed to bring stuff? I'm oh, sorry. I'm more, I'm more interested in this story of the bus than the like, story of Troy. Like, <laughs> yeah. Wait, not only did you get this on a regular basis, but you got to bring your own movies? What? Yes. This only happened this is maybe an twice. This is an M-rated movie. Yes, it's an M-rated movie. Oh my God. And we, yeah, we watched it um, on the way to school. So it was a, it was usually a, like a 45 minute bus trip. Um, and I watched most of Troy or like, well, actually, no, considering that the movie goes for over three hours, I would have only seen like less than a third of it, but I saw some of it and I was intrigued and I was really captivated by the, I guess the huge scale of it. And it's really beautiful to look at. And there's 
obviously lots of action and drama and there's death and there's war and there are all these beautiful people with curly hair and it's it's yeah. the curls. Yeah, I was, yeah, it's <laughs> it all comes curls. back to the curls. It all comes back to the curls. <laughs> and I was hooked. I was hooked. And then I – it's one of those movies that, that plays on TV quite often. So I think the next time I saw it was probably watching it on TV. But then, yeah, and then I was just hooked. And I've only become more and more fond of it as the years go by because now I'm really obsessed with classical mythology. So I feel like my love for it has grown even further over the years. But tell me, what's your experience with this movie? So – I think when this film came out, I'm, I vividly remember watching this film in America. Oh. Um, I only lived there for a year and I'm pretty sure it was before 2004. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how I could have possibly seen this film in America, but that's what I vividly remember. Uh-huh. So um, I vividly remember watching this film and being very, very bored by it. <gasps> uh, what I, the only scene I really remember is some sort of love scene between Brad Pitt and I assume the slave girl who starts the Iliad, mm-hmm. and um, which, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the other scene is between, um, I, my memory has uh, conflated Brad Pitt fighting Orlando Bloom Paris and Achilles. I, 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 I've just assumed that Brad Pitt plays Achilles and Orlando Bloom plays Paris and Eric Banner plays Hector. Yes, this is all correct. Yeah, because they're the three major players. Well, Paris isn't really a major player, but like, mm. like those have to be the main characters mm-hmm. um, if you're going to adapt it for screen. Um, so, like, yeah, I just remember a really lackluster fight scene where Orlando Bloom gets his ass handed to him. Yes. And um, that happens, obviously. Achilles whips... It's um, not Achilles who fights him in that scene. Oh, really? Who is mm, it then? It's actually Menelaus. Oh, shit. Yeah. You see, that's another thing I'm in, and probably why it didn't stick with me when I saw it so young is mm. the Iliad obviously has tons of characters. Yeah. Because it's an epic. And lots of they, angry men fighting lots, each other. Lots of angry white men fighting each other. It's, such, it's a tale as old as time, literally. Um, but... <laughs> I don't, I, I'm going to be really interested to rewatch this film mm. and just basically realign my memory and see like what I remembered correctly, what I didn't. Mm. Um, and also Sean Bean is Odysseus, which is such a weird casting choice. Yeah. Tell me, why do you think it's a weird casting choice? Because I love him as Odysseus. Really? Okay. Yeah. Because I just, I've never seen Sean Bean in a really, really intellectual role. And for me, Odysseus is obviously a physically strong character, but his main strength is his cunning and yes. his intelligence. That's what separates him from everyone else around him. Yeah. And Sean Bean just never had that edge to him in anything I've seen. Obviously, mm-hmm. he's a great actor, so maybe I'm just about to be really surprised. But, mm. like, I've never – it's just maybe he's been more typecast as a um, bit of a brooding hulk in my mind. Like, not really – okay, he, my Sean Bean is very much – Tell me – yeah, what's your Sean Bean experience? My Sean Bean – my Sean when Bean you, <laughs> When you think of Sean Bean, what's his role that you immediately think of? Well, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Like, yeah, and just like – Boromir is not a smart dude. <laughs> yes, that is true. And I think I think that's why my mm. like obviously I've seen him in many other things since most recently he played Stinger, the B character in Jupiter Ascending. That was great. I loved that movie. Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jupiter Ascending, one of the the cinematic one of classics. The greats, yeah. One of the greats. <laughs> anyway, we're on a tangent. Uh, let's get let's bring it back. Okay, to... bring it back. So when you think of Sean Bean, you think of Boromir. Yeah. Um, so thinking of him as Odysseus to you is not not the immediate. Yeah, and the other major image. like 
the other iconic character I know him as is, of course, um, Ned Stark. Ned Stark, yes. yes. I nearly called him Ned Snow. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'd just be mobbed by Game of Thrones fans. Um, but, um, yeah, Ned Stark, who is also, like, he, like he's intellectual in that he's smarter than ever a lot he's of people. He's, he's wise. He's wise, man. but he's not, like... He's definitely not cunning. Cun- cunningness is mm. not his forte. That's why he dies. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's, revisiting his death is still traumatic for me, even though it happened so long ago. Um, so, yeah, the, those are my two characters, which are very – it's a very specific typecasting that I have for Sean Bean in my brain. Yeah. So, I don't know. What do you, what, what was your Sean Bean experience, Emily? <laughs> um, my Sean Bean experience – well, the first one would have been Lord of the Rings, same as you. Mm. He's also he also plays the villain in National Treasure, which is one of my favorite films. Oh my god, I forgot about that. <laughs> and Diane Kruger's in National Treasure too. So, my god. There you go. Double feature, Troy in National Treasure. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> so that yeah, and then I saw him in Game of Thrones and then I loved him because his role in that was really wonderful. And then I kind of went, when I revisited Troy, I thought, oh, hang on, Sean Bean is Odysseus in this. And then, of course, it just made me love the movie even more. So I never, like, seeing him as Odysseus was never, never seemed odd to me. I think because I'm so fond of him as an actor that that I kind of thought, oh, Sean Bean as Odysseus, how could that not work? Well, yeah, I guess. Like, he's obviously a fantastic actor and, um, Mm. like, I'm sure he will pull it off. It's just, one, Odysseus doesn't die in the Iliad and there are plenty of people who die in the Iliad. So, like... (laughs) There are other options for oh Sean God, Bean to yes. play. Like, Sean Bean, I can confirm, and I don't think this is much of a spoiler, Sean Bean does not die in this film. If you think that's a spoiler, like, you're like, what, how many maybe thousands people, of years too late? Maybe people, maybe people who are not very familiar with, uh, with the Iliad and the Odyssey might maybe think that Odysseus dies, but he, he does not. He well, does not. That is an interesting point. Let's move on to the general literacy around the Homeric texts, mm-hmm. like, yeah. um, I'm looking at the cover. I can assume that it wasn't really aimed at people who knew, who had read the Iliad or yeah. read any Homer at all. Yeah. Um, which is fine, which is good even because, you I know, it's a good like introduction to it for really? people who like may not necessarily read things like the Odyssey or the Iliad, but they might see this film and go, Oh, I'm, I think I like that story. Maybe I will go and investigate it further. Maybe, and hopefully that's the case. Hmm. Like, so let's talk about our personal bias, mythological biases. <laughs> so tell me, were you one of those kids where, who just loved mythology? I was, yes. I think this film had something to do with it. I'm going to say that. Yeah, I think I was one of those people who saw this and then went, I really like this story. I want to know more. This movie, um, so Troy, uh, tell us the story of the Iliad. I, I do remember this. It doesn't start at the same point as the Iliad because I only read yeah. the Iliad last year. So I, I which is very impressive, by the way, because I haven't even read the whole thing. <laughs> I didn't read it. I listened to it on Audible, but like <laughs> it still counts. It it's counts. really good for running. Okay, I'm just gonna say if you're gonna get a audiobook to listen to while running, mm-hmm. you get the Iliad. It's pretty long, but like there's so many fight scenes and your blood just gets pumping as you're running. And, like people's heads are exploding. Yeah, great. <laughs> would ten out of ten would recommend. Um, <laughs> Really gets you in the mood to run fast. Mm-hmm. Um, for my history, I was definitely a mythology kid, but my mythology was more focused on ancient Egypt and ancient Rome. I didn't. I kind of skipped the Greek myths, mm. um, and it, you could say, well, the Roman myths are the same, but they're not. Like, <laughs> so there's there's a very different um, 
aesthetic, if nothing else. Um, so I've only recently come back to it when I was like, oh, I want to get back into the classics. I want to um, educate myself and learn all of – read the canon, essentially. Mm, yeah. Um, that was my aim. And then I read the Odyssey and I just kept reading Greek myth, um, mm. either reading, reading or listening to them. So I did the Odyssey first and I did Emily, Emily Wilson's translation of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did the Iliad and it was some old white guy's translation. Um, and very, diff- very interesting seeing the comparison of how they were translated. Mm. Um, even though it's not the same story, you can tell the decisions were made in different manners, which yeah, is fascinating. Especially when you consider that there's both poems are supposedly created by the same person, which is Homer. Yeah. When or I written, I should say written by him. Who, who may be more than one person. Yeah. Or yeah. Cause yeah. Anyway. <laughs> that's a whole let's not open up the discussion of whether homer was real or not and like that's yeah that deserves a whole thesis on its own when i picked up the iliad to read when i clicked on an audible to read i expected it to start with the marriage of helen and her abduction instead when i read it it was just basically the story of achilles which it was never described to me as the story of achilles it was always mm. described to me as the sacking of troy uh which doesn't even happen in the book <laughs> Yes. Like, oh my goodness, the, yes. The horse doesn't the, happen? Like Yeah, exactly. So in the Iliad, the Iliad ends um at the point of more or less at Hector's death. Yeah, which I found which also no one mentions is actually really tragic. It is very tragic, yeah. Um and it, Achilles is still alive at the end of the Iliad mm-hmm. as well, because he also famously dies in at Troy and that doesn't get seen. So it's basically this rivalry story between Achilles and Hector. Personally, um, from my standpoint, what, 4,000 years later? Yeah, yeah. Roughly. <laughs> um, from, like, 4,000 years later, looking back on it, yeah, I think Team Hector, that's that's who I'm going to, for. Like, I know yeah. I, sh- as, I know Achilles is part of my family, but, like, but, yeah, no. <laughs> Hector had the moral um, right here. Like, yeah, yeah. And, and he dies, and it's really tragic, and um, the plight of the Trojans is seen like you see both perspectives and you also get a little bit with Helen where she's been there for 10 years and she still doesn't like she has this argument with Aphrodite mm-hmm. about whether I, whether she wants to go and like she doesn't want to go and sleep with Paris and Aphrodite's like well you got to do it bitch <laughs> <laughs> yeah that sounds like her <laughs> yeah that's peak Aphrodite um <laughs> Yeah, it's a completely different story to what you may think it is. Mm. And I think all the things that you just mentioned there are dealt with very well in the film. Except for the Aphrodite bit. Except because she's not there. Because none of the gods are none there. None of the gods are there. Which is like 50% of the book. Yeah, so you just remove all the gods and condense it from 10 years into a couple of weeks and then you have this film. I, I'm just, I don't know what to expect now. Yeah, because the way that it's told, it's told as if it was... Like, uh, it's told as historically accurate as it can be, um, minus, apparently, I've heard that the costumes are really not historically accurate, but let's just... Obviously, it looks like Xena. Xena was made yeah. on, like, a $50 budget in New Zealand. Like, <laughs> So if you ignore the costumes, um, it's, the, it's told as if this really happened, so, um, therefore, there are no gods um, in, like, a physical form. The gods are mentioned many times. Um, but you don't actually see them and they don't take part in the war as they do in the Iliad. I don't, I just don't know how they can even, mm. the gods contribute so much to the story of the Iliad. Like 
they're the framing of the device. It's all about this battle between gods and the tides of battle are dictated by the will of the gods literally jumping into the battlefield of fighting and then mm. Zeus getting angry about that and, like, all sorts of stuff. And, like, the only reason, like, Achilles is so powerful is because he's godmother mm. and I just – I'm really, <laughs> really confused about, like, if it if it's even worth saying – it's based off the Iliad or if yeah. it's just based off the it, myth. It says at the end of the film, I think just before the end credits, it says inspired by the Iliad or inspired by Homer's Iliad. So it doesn't claim to be an adaptation of the Iliad. It claims to be inspired by the I, events of the Iliad. But I feel like this, if it's, yeah, does it have the same core? Because mm-hmm. if the core of the movie is this rivalry between Achilles and Hector, then absolutely um, I think it would be considered an adaptation or even inspired by it. But if it doesn't have the same core, then I think it's just a marketing ploy to get people to watch it mm. and maybe to get people to watch it in English class specifically. Yes. Well, I'm really interested just to hear what you think of it after we watch it then. Sure. Are we going to drink our drink? We are. So speaking of our drink, we decided to find out what kind of drinks people may have had back in the days of ancient Greece. And one of the recipes that came up was for barley water and that the ancient Greek name, and I don't speak Greek, so I won't be able to pronounce this correctly. Kaikion. Yeah, we'll go with that. We'll go with kaikion. Yeah. So basically this is, this is mint barley water. So it's barley water with mint leaves, a bit of maple syrup and a bit of lime juice in this case, but the recipe requires lemon juice. I think it'll be fine though. It was a big lime. It was a big lime. Cheers. How do we say, what's a traditional Greek way of cheering? Seeing as we're striving for historical accuracy here. We are. And I don't know. <laughs> Cheers. 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 We should say something to the gods. Oh, well. Drink libations to the gods. Well, okay. So one thing that I feel I need to mention, and one of my favorite things about this movie, is that it is made with this classic, old-fashioned style that I don't think we have seen since this movie was released and I think that I think it was done intentionally to suit the kind of epic scale of it it's almost got that like Ben-Hur vibe that you don't get very often with these big budget films Um, but when you're setting a film in ancient Greece or ancient Troy I should say about the Iliad it kind of needs that big scale so one of the techniques that, that the director has used in this film and he uses it at least twice two times that I can definitely remember is the slow motion close-up, I think you could call it. And it always happens when a character has just said a really important line or they're about to say something really important. And it's kind of the director's way of saying, okay, audience, pay attention. They're about to say something really epic and really important to the story. (laughs) And it's just, it's really corny, but I, I love it. And so I'm excited for you to see these moments when they happen on the screen. And they happen at really important turning points and plot points. Oh, no. (laughs) Okay, so there's a reason we haven't seen that in films since this movie came out. (laughs) I just want to say that first and foremost. And second, you know how I said I was excited to watch this movie? Yeah. I'm excited because I'm excited to um, critique. (laughs) Yes. Okay, let's dive in. Listeners, be warned that spoilers ensue.
Okay. Okay, we just finished watching Troy. We did just finish watching Troy. It was a long movie. It was a long movie. It was a long movie. For anyone who's interested, the exact length is 157 minutes. That's a long, that's a lot of minutes. It's a long film. We did have to have a brief intermission about a third of the way through. And then another third. Every third we had an intermission. (laughs) So what are your first impressions after watching that film? Well, it had some really great moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really loved, um, especially the shots of the landscape where you could see the Greeks encroaching on Troy. That that was really really great. Yeah, and the thousand then, ships on the horizon. That 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 scene in particular, but there was another scene where they're waiting for the Greeks to come over the crest of the hill. Yeah, and um, also the scene at nighttime where they're rolling the, the fireballs. fireballs. <laughs> it's got fireballs. How can you not love fireballs? I. <laughs> <laughs> lots of good fire action in this movie lots of good fire action yeah i know you said um the costuming was not yeah i've heard that it's not accurate it's kind of like a mishmash of different eras put together just for the aesthetic look but damn it looked good <laughs> they looked pretty fine didn't I, they? I, I i feel like they figured out that the main demographic of this film was going to be horny straight women and they just they just went all in, and I've got to commend them for that. I've got <laughs> to commend them for that. Yeah, it it was a really interesting take on things. Uh, interesting take on Achilles. Mm. So, what did you think of the Achilles Hector dynamic? There wasn't really much of one. Mm. Like, there's that one scene in the temple where he's like, "Hey, I'm not going to kill you today," and then. Like, there wasn't enough scenes dedicated to that. And I feel mm. like there was a lot of scenes that just didn't need to be in the movie. Mm-hmm. And, like, as I said earlier, they're dealing with a lot of characters. But it would have yeah. been nicer to, to have more of a dynamic between those two characters. They were each individually developed, but not in a way that made a really strong parallel that you see in the Iliad. Mm. Um, but they they were both very true to the, the source material, I feel. How do you feel about <clears> it? <throat> yeah, I agree. I mean, I haven't read the Iliad properly. But whenever I do read something that features Achilles or Hector, it does seem that they pretty much nailed it in the movie because it seems to be quite true to their characters and personalities and the way that we regard them whenever we read those epic poems or like, or even like whether we're reading, say, um, The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller and the way that she portrays Achilles. I still, like, whenever I read anything that features Achilles as a character, I just picture him as Brad Pitt. I can't help it. But I think, like, I think they did a pretty good job with this movie. It, I haven't read the Madeline Miller uh, Song of Achilles. I, I've read her Cersei book, but I haven't read mm. Song of Achilles. That's on the read list. But, yes, I feel like they did a really good job at making him... Like, obviously, he they made him the protagonist of this story, which makes sense. Like, mm. he's... The one who kind of decides everything. And then Hector's kind of meant to be the dual protagonist in mm. that he gets quite a few scenes. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he's just some secondary character. I, I don't know. Like, it feel like, I feel like they did a really good job of making the changes they needed to make to pull this off mm-hmm. because there was no way that you could do a straight adaptation. So they made, yeah. they made a lot of really smart decisions in terms of, getting a proper story arc and making it well-paced. Like, it's a long, mm. but it's well-paced. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I do feel like they could have just gotten rid of any scene with Paris in it 
<laughs> and the film would have been better. But, of course, they need him for the plot. Yeah, he is necessary to the plot. There was one scene in particular that you found very hard to sit through, and it was when Priam is giving Paris the sword of Troy. And he says, as long as this is in the hands of a Trojan, our people have a future. And you were just rolling your eyes and groaning, and I kept saying, no, this is important. It'll come back later. It didn't need to be there. It didn't need to be there. There is no reason to add on this extra metaphor. There are so many metaphors being played with right now. We don't need a sword of Troy, which just never existed. And I get it. I get it. We wanted to hand it off to Aeneas. And I was just, oh, that didn't need to be. A sword. A sword. <laughs> it just it made no sense. And I know they kind of like had the payoff at the end with handing it to Aeneas. It's like, yes, you will take the sword and you will go found the city that will then become Rome. Yes. And it was all very like – Aeneas is too young, by the way. He's meant to have a son and he's meant to have a wife who <laughs> dies in the pillaging. Also, where was Cassandra? Where was my bae Cassandra? Um, yeah. like, there was already too many characters. But of the characters that were cut, most mm. of them were female. Yes. Um, yes. which is weird because what I really liked about the Iliad was um, that there, there was... There are a lot of females in there. There are so many female characters. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned when we were talking about it earlier um, that the Greeks didn't portray, didn't perceive female gods as women. As women, yeah. Which I think is really fascinating. So would mm. you like to elaborate on that a little bit more? Yes. So basically what I found while I was um, studying the Greek myths at university, as you do when you're a big nerd. Um, there was a hair flick there, by the way, guys. You didn't see it, <laughs> but she flicked her hair when she said that. <laughs> I'm proud of my nerdiness. Um, so I found that there was a difference in these myths between the female gods and the female humans. So there was a difference between being female and being a woman in that the female gods, for example, have a lot of agency and a lot of power and they're um, sort of in a separate class on their own and certain things don't really happen to them, like not only in terms of the fact that they're immortal and all that, but they can't really be regarded in the same way as the women are. So, for example, in the Iliad, you've got Helen who gets abducted and... Well, it's it's... And, like, taken as a prize. Like, she's literally a prize. I can't remember the... I think the term is a geras for, like, a specific... It's a specific term for a woman who is taken as a prize in war. And, like, that's... Of course there is. Yeah, of course. And that's what Helen is regarded as, whereas, like, you could never... That term would never be used to describe a goddess if a goddess was ever stolen, for example. Like Persephone? Um, yes. Yeah, you still wouldn't call her a geras. I don't think. I don't know. Maybe we could discuss this further. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, that's just a small example of the difference between women and um, and the goddesses. But, um, but yeah, there are – it is a shame that they cut a lot of women from Troy, this movie, um, who, were in, who feature in the Iliad. Because there are a lot of females in the Iliad, not just the – I mean, like, also the fact that the gods aren't, aren't characters in the movie. So you don't see the female gods. And, um, and yeah, yeah, and the, the – the whole of the Iliad is a battle between three female gods, Athena, <laughs> Juno, and Aphrodite. With those characters gone, there are lots. There's still lots of female characters that could have mm. been in this movie, but they mostly gave. They mostly focused on three female characters, which was Helen, yeah, um, Hector's and unnamed wife, Andromache, Andromache. Yeah, I think she's mentioned. Her name is mentioned maybe once or twice in the movie. Yeah, yeah like that really 
is the focus that she gets. She's a wife. That's all you need mm. to know. Yeah. And then we've got... Briseis. Or Briseis, as I know her. Um, Briseis is how they pronounce it in the movie, though. Mm. Um, who is like... She doesn't get any dialogue. She doesn't have any say. She's literally a slave. And in this mm. one, they really give Achilles a pseudo-feminist leaning or mm. I don't know, just maybe mm. a really big boner. <laughs> now, did we co- <laughs> have we covered the slow motion close-ups yet? No, no but we, so we, we counted there were three. Mm-hmm. And it legitimately looked like there was something wrong with the TV <laughs> each time. <laughs> because it, it wasn't stylistic enough it wasn't slow enough for you to know it was slow-mo and it wasn't long enough for you to register there was slow-mo yeah so if i'd been watching this in the time of dvd i would have just thought the dvd was skipping yes um, or you would think that you're you were having like a slight brain like something was wrong <laughs> <laughs> well you know i'm watching this movie for three hours something is, <laughs> something will slip at some point. something is not right <laughs> what i think there's one with menelaus there's there's a slow-mo with achilles and there's a slow-mo with Briseis. I think those are the three. Which is interesting because those three characters... I mean, I guess, like, everyone's plots are intertwined. But, like, I don't know. Do you think those are they're significant, those three? They're three almost separate plots. Yeah. And Achilles and Briseis has that crossover. Yeah, they have their love, love story. Quotation, Quotation marks. Quotation marks. <laughs> that's, that's not a love story. <laughs> that's a Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> um... <laughs> Though I did love the conclusion to her story arc. Took the wind out of Clymestra's sails, mm. but... But? But, yeah, it was it was nice seeing Agamemnon killed by a woman because, mm-hmm. you know, got to keep with the classics. Can we talk about Agamemnon for a second? Oh, yes, please do. Um, but can we call him Aggie? Because I know I'm going to mess up his name if we call him anything <laughs> yes. else. Okay. Agamemnon. I-, I can't even say it. Agamemnon shall now be known as Aggie. Yes, Aggie. continue. So Aggie was a bit of a caricature. In this film, like I did not like him from the get go. I think I texted you like Agamemnon had it coming. Like after I read the first chapter of the Iliad, I can't remember. I'm pretty sure I texted you. Probably that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But like, he is a absolute monster in this film. Like he's very much played for like the you know evil rapist role. He's a warmongering villain. Um, They are not. They're not Mm. Team Aggie. Mm. Um, I feel like it almost let the rest of the film down because mm. he is a somewhat nuanced character. Mm. Still evil AF, but he's somewhat nuanced. Yeah. Um, in the original source material, what did you think of him? If you had any thoughts of him at all? Yes, I agree. Yeah, he is. He is absolutely one hundred percent the villain, and there is no. Yeah, he's one hundred percent dark. There are no redeeming qualities about him whatsoever. But there, there aren't really any scenes where you look at him and go, oh, I kind of sympathise with him. <laughs> you don't get that at all. No, you're not meant to, but mm. the, even more, like, all the, all the other characters do morally ambiguous things. Like, mm. Paris steals Helen, um, Hector defends Paris, and possibly lets Troy burn due to his pride. He could have easily had made a deal with Aggie. That was, I, when we watched that scene, I literally said out loud, that is a very generous offer. Yeah, so there's a scene in the film, so it's just before Paris and Menelaus have their one-on-one duel. Oh, speaking of, twinks just can't catch a break in this movie. Like, you don't know what a twink is, do you? <laughs> oh my Sorry. god. <laughs> and the listeners will love it. So it's just before that, that fight... Um, Agamemnon or Aggie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we put this nickname in, and then we can't keep to it. <laughs> so Aggie says to Hector, 
Look, we can avoid all this bloodshed if you give Helen back to my brother and you agree to fight for me when I call on you. That's what Aggie offers. And Hector says no. And he's... It's kind of out of and character that, for him. Yeah, and you said to me, that's actually a good deal. <laughs> he it's should a very probably good take deal. it. <laughs> it's a very good deal. No one has to die, um, except Helen, but, like, <laughs> she doesn't have a personality anyway, so... Mm. And the Greeks don't seem to give a shit. The Trojans really did care about women, though, in terms of they treated them like actual characters. They didn't get any positions of power, but, like, it, it was an interesting portrayal to make the Trojans so sympathetic. Yes. Um, yeah. But yet to make Achilles the protagonist. And what did you think? So, <laughs> so you weren't. I gather you weren't that invested in the Achilles Briseis love love story. Quotation marks. What did you think of the ending, the final scene between Achilles and Briseis when he gets shot and dies? Oh, that was pathetic. I don't know how Achilles dies canonically. Um, that's a good question. I should know this. I know he's buried after Troy because I've read. Euripides Hecuba, mm-hmm. who wasn't in the film. Yes, Hecuba's not in the film, disappointingly. So that's Priam's wife. She's the queen of Troy, essentially. She's not in the film. Uh, just where are my Trojan women? I just mm. want my Trojan women. Um, but no, they're not in the. <laughs> they're not in Troy. Um, <laughs> not in this Troy. No. no. Yeah. So I don't know how he dies canonically, but that, that, it has something to do with his heel. <laughs> yeah. Well, in <laughs> but the myth, yeah. he's dipped. By He's his dipped mother. In the river, yep, but but she holds him by the heel, therefore the heel doesn't get I don't know why she didn't just turn him around and like hang him from the other side, but whatever. Yeah. Um and then she was going to burn away all of his human parts and that would make him immortal. Ooh. But his father burst in and stopped that from happening. Mm. Um so she left the family. But she still comes and visits Achilles during the course of the Iliad. Okay. So mm. But um, he gets very – there's a lot of focus on him getting shot through the heel. Mm-hmm. And then he Boromir's his way out of it. Um. <laughs> that was such a Boromir moment when he gets all those arrows in him in the movie. Yeah. And he just pulls them out and keeps going like, ah, oh, it's Lord of the Rings all over again. Well, yes, this did come out after Lord of the Rings, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think the last Lord of the Rings came out in 2003. But the, definitely the first Lord of the Rings had been out. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, the, the first one. So we had already – yeah, we were already very familiar with that image. And so, yeah, you could say they borrowed that. I think they definitely borrowed that imagery. Um, they they were quite restrained when it, when it came, came to the imagery that they chose. They put all of their focus onto these big, grand, wide shots showing epic scenes. Like uh, when mm. Troy is burning, there's this camera pan up and you see Troy burn. Mm. And it's quite a beautiful shot. It's a horrific act, but it's quite a beautiful shot. Yeah. I think the film falls through when it comes to, like, shots that actually have characters in them, <laughs> <laughs> which is ironic, which is most of the film, you know? So, like, there, there's a scene where the the Greeks are coming in and sacking Troy, and I just, it was kind of dull. I, I'm not inclined towards that sort of scene, but I don't, what did you think of that scene? Like, it's stretched on for a long time. The time it. period didn't make sense because Achilles was running in trying to save his oh, lady yes. love. We mentioned this as we were watching it. So, yeah. so in the film, Achilles is inside the Trojan horse when it comes into the city. And then that night when all the Trojans are asleep and the Greeks come out of the horse, Achilles is one of those Greeks and he comes out and he immediately starts running towards the, the center of the city presumably looking for Briseis. And then 
cut to when all the rest of the Greeks are storming through the city. He should be ahead of them because he had a big head start, but yet he's just like suddenly surrounded by Greek soldiers who are terrorizing everyone and burning things and stabbing people, and he's just there. And Beth said, why is he, how is he not ahead of all this? It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, and I said maybe he got lost, which we said was possible. Oh, totally plausible. <laughs> totally plausible. Um, but yes, he, he could have made better use of his time. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it was meant to build up tension, and it just failed. Like, it was the climax of the movie. We've, we've had Hector die. We know, we've seen the Trojan horse. Even everyone knows what happens. We know in the it's going to be a bad. Yeah, something bad is going to happen. Yeah, we know everything's over. Yeah. It was interesting having um, Paris be the one suggests that they burn the horse. Mm, um, I like that scene, that moment, because he's saying what we all want him to say. <laughs> and they leave it ambiguous as to what happens to Paris and Bryce's. Like you can assume that they made they it out of this mm, exit. Or we assume, yeah. Yeah, she just disappears in the chaos of Troy, and hopefully she's still all right. Mm. Like. Yeah. Uh, with her cousin who's become Hector throughout the course of the movie. Yeah. Um, so that was a really interesting character arc for Paris. His, his character yeah, arc was very tight. Does. Yeah, actually, you're right. Yeah, because it starts off like, I'm just a naive kid, I'm in love, to I'm going to sacrifice myself for the greater good of Troy. And save my people. And save my people. And pass my Trojan sword onto this young man who this I know is going to... Young, random man. <laughs> Did you love, by the way, how he is, how Aeneas is posing with his father in the exact like famous Aeneas pose with his father holding onto him? So when... Paris says to him, what's your name? We know he's going to say Aeneas. We just know it's him. Who else could it be? And Carrying I'd, his father. And I'd mentioned like 10 seconds earlier, like, oh, so, because Troy was burning. And like, I turned to you and I'd said, oh, this is where the Aeneid starts. And you're like, just wait. I'm like, ooh, ooh. They didn't need to have the fucking sword. Okay. That, that sword did not need to be there. That sword didn't... I'm very angry about the sword. That movie was like five hours too long and that sword could have easily cut that runtime down significantly. And, okay, let's talk about armor for a second because yeah. armor plays a huge role in the... In the... In the original the story, yeah. in the original poem. And everyone wears the same armor in this movie. Is Yeah, it, it, you pointed out that it's quite hard to distinguish between the two armies during the big battle scenes because their armor is so similar, especially in color. I guess the only real distinction is that Achilles has his myrmidons and they're all in black. And then Achilles himself is supposed to have a very, um, very uh, distinguishable golden armor, which you do see in the beginning. But then I think they, they were trying to show that it got like dirty during the days of battle. And then like by the last... His last fight scene, it doesn't look gold at all. It's just dull completely. Maybe it's because he is no longer a hero because Mm. his soul is so tarnished. Yes. And how he has fallen because of a woman. Um, You know, it just made that whole scene with Patroclus kind of fall flat. Mm. Because, like, all of the Greeks look kind of the same. There's Mm. no individual armor to identify anyone in particular. Um, And all of the Trojans, they have that beautiful, I want to say... It's almost quilted. It's like patchwork mm, armor. Yeah. Um, I think it's Byzantine inspired. Yeah, I think so. Um, and that's quite lovely. But they're all wearing the same armor. Yeah. So you know what side they're on, but you don't know who they are just by the looks of them. Like the characters' faces you recognize, kind of. 
but like and their silhouettes are all very similar like you've got ajax is the only one who stands out in terms of silhouette the size of two men exactly <laughs> he's enormous got a, he's got a giant hammer and he's got a big hammer that was a great hammer that was a great fight scene <laughs> great hammer choreography can we talk about the fight scenes for yes, a minute please. i loved the fight scenes in a lot of this but sometimes the fight scenes were really rubbish like and like the training fight scene that they were doing at the start with patroclus the cousin oh we didn't even mention they know homo to the cousin yeah um, so achilles and patroclus it's well known that they <laughs> pretty commonly regarded now that um, Achilles and Petroglyphs were lovers um, in the poem, but in this film they decided to not go down the gay path and do like a familial bond instead. So yes, there is a scene early in the film where Achilles and Petroclus are, or Achilles is training him in how to fight, so they're like doing this play fight duel on top of a, in like a ruined temple on top of a mountain look overlooking the sea, and mm. it's very, very corny. It, it is very corny, and then Sean Bean arrives, um, but we'll get to Sean Bean later. Um, we're dancing around the real topic of this podcast, which is Sean Bean. Um, we're renaming your podcast the Sean Bean Podcast. But yeah, that fight scene was really disappointing. And then there's the scene between Hector and Ajax, where that is an awesome with fight scene. Hammer. With the hammer. <laughs> the giant And the pretty boy. The one pretty boy in the whole movie of pretty boys. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. A, that was a great fight scene. Like, there, was, mm. there was a lot of decent fight scenes. The ones where she's about to be assaulted, um, Bryce's, by the soldiers. She's about to be branded and then assaulted by yeah. them. Um, in a way that wasn't, if that is an issue for you, is not going to be super triggering, but... Just keep in mind that that's mm, there. Yeah. Yeah, That even that scene is really well designed in terms of a fight scene. Like, mm. you, we don't think of it as a fight scene, but it is a fight scene. Mm. And they did a really good job at framing that. So if the, if this film is doing fight scenes between th- two to three characters and beautiful landscapes with menace, then it's really great at those two things. Mm. Um, the acting could be better we had a lot of legolas in there yeah <laughs> yes because um, i don't think a, a lot, lot of, of paris legolas crossover mm. <laughs> i feel like um they had all of these big name great actors and then they gave them a pretty ordinary script mm. um in my opinion mm. um, the whole movie is obsessed with your name being remembered yes um that's a big part of achilles's um his character and his obsession in the poem true but they say it every 10 seconds it, yeah, it opens, the film opens with that, with Odysseus doing his uh, voiceover narration, talking about something along those lines about your name being remembered after you're gone. And then it ends with that same note. Yeah, it is a big part of the film. Oh, it's like every two scenes, someone's talking about names getting remembered. Like, I get it, you've got a theme, but you don't need to keep stating it every 10 seconds. Mm. It's meant, themes are meant to be subtle. And this was it's not, not subtle. a subtle theme at all. <laughs> it, literally, there was a point where I just yelled at the screen, can we just stop it already? And you got confused. You're like, do you want me to stop the movie? I'm like, no, I just want them to stop saying that their names will be remembered. We get it. It's an ancient story. We get it. <laughs> and shall we get to the real topic here? Of it, we, Sean we Bean. Can, we've been dancing topic. around the topic. Tell me, what did you think of Sean Bean as Odysseus? I'm still not convinced at the end of it, but he did a really good job. Like, I, it's not it's that... Good, yeah, I enjoy him in this. Yeah, I think it's just a case of my... I had a very particular uh, mental image uh, of how Odysseus would act. I always mm. viewed him as a very skinny, kind of slimy character. And this was not... That wasn't what they were going for. Like, mm. Odysseus was considered more honourable, 
wiser. Yeah, like he's meant to be wise, but like mm. not in an honorable way. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and they didn't like even go into the story about how Odysseus tried to get out of the war. <laughs> by pretending to be crazy. Like <laughs> Oh, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they just I feel like they um neutered his zaniness. They definitely did, yeah. Uh, and I don't think that's Sean Bean did a really good job of like bringing that in with his acting. Like there's a scene where they're presenting Aggie with all these gifts and Sean Bean just turns and like rolls his eyes at Brad Pitt. That's such a great scene. That was yeah. my favourite moment in the entire film. Oh, yeah, where Odysseus and Achilles just kind of share this look of, I can't believe we're both here and this dude here is our king. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, we've all been there. Like, we've all been there. (laughs) So relatable. (laughs) Relatable Odysseus moments. That's what I want. Um, It was was a fun movie. I'll give it that. It's very fun. Yeah. Yeah. And as I said, love the fight scenes. Um, love the boat. Can we talk about the boat? Oh, the boat, yes. The boat tent. The boat tent. Yes. Yes. This is something that I had completely overlooked during the many times I've watched this movie. But so after the Greeks land on the beach, I think it's, it's the scene where all the Greek, uh, kings are presenting Aggie with the gifts. Yeah. Like, yeah. Good, yeah. Like, good job. Good victory. We took the beach. Um, and it, but before that, before we're actually in the tent, it, the camera kind of pans over and... It's Agamemnon's ship on the sand with these tents, canvases over the ship. Is that how you would describe it? Yeah, that's a good description. It's like a tent, like, it's like they unfolded the ship and it became a tent. Yeah. And it was great. It's really cool. Yeah, it looked amazing. Um, Great set design. Uh, Mm. Lots of really good props actually like obviously fireballs um but also <laughs> don't forget the fireballs don't forget the fireballs but also the horse was very aesthetic mm. and troy itself was a beautiful city it's the most beautiful city we see we see several greek cities mm. and then we see troy and i feel like troy really had that luxness it yeah. was a beautiful lush city everyone's wearing indigo yeah, which is beautiful super expensive they're either wearing indigo or white Mm. which is Athenian colours, so that's a bit weird. But still... <laughs> Actually, I did notice that. Yeah. I was watching thinking, oh, everything's so blue and white. Should they be wearing blue and white in Troy? I don't know. Well, um, there was a scene, like, back-to-back where um, they're wearing that weird, like, V-neck shirt. Yeah. Um, Paris, showing off the pants. Paris and Hector were showing off their man boobs. And, um, <laughs> and then in the next scene, uh, Achilles has got the same outfit on. Yeah. And it was very visually confusing, oh. but it was beautiful and, you know, pecs. Like. <laughs> Who doesn't love some pecs? You know, aesthetically, you know, if yeah. you got it, want <laughs> it. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, the, yeah, for the two opposing sides to be wearing similar clothing, yeah. it's Well, yeah, and I guess it was meant to show that um, Achilles is uh, like... Potentially. Maybe he's one of them inside. Well, yeah, like it's foreshadowing his um, lack of commitment to either side. Yeah. Yeah. Not that he does anything to try and stop the war other than just not participate in it. Another really great scene um, was when there's the first attack on Troy where mm-hmm. um, the Ajax and Hector scene happens mm-hmm. and the archers basically win the day. I did really like how they talked about there's – kind of like a telepathic bond between um Achilles and Odysseus where they're like he's saying the same things like we've got to pull back we've got to like yeah. acting like generals I love a battle scene where you actually get generals 
where things go wrong and generals are talking and actually thinking strategically. Mm. Um, you don't actually get that very often in yeah, so military true. scenes, like in blockbuster movies. Like you get things like, um, let's bring it back to Game of Thrones. Um, you get things like, oh, we just forgot the dragons were there. Or like, we forgot they had the dragon killing boats. It's like, uh. and, Yeah, and interestingly, the writer of Troy, the screenwriter, I should say, is uh, David Benioff, who was one of the head writers of Game of Thrones. Yeah. Interesting. It is interesting. And I imagine this is part of how he got Game of Thrones funded, because that didn't, that wasn't long after this, right? Oh, 2011, Game of Thrones. Okay, so quite a while afterwards. Yeah. But I imagine it was definitely in in the portfolio. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think it would have been a big part of his resume there. Which is is a bit of a pity because the writing was kind of terrible. (laughs) Even though, like, I understand that some parts are terrible, but I like, there are some lines that I love and I know that they're really, like, cheesy, but I love it. Well, they were delivered by great actors. So Mm. that really helps. But the scene between Priam and Achilles where Priam sneaks into the Trojan lines to recover Hector's body, that um, conversation... I think it was very close to the conversation, the books. It, I, it's been a while, mm, but I'm pretty I sure it's, it's very close, close. Yeah. Um, which helps <laughs> when it comes to bad writing. Um, but, yeah, that was, that was a really great writing scene, or at least it was the, one of the scenes where I thought, oh, yeah, mm. that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll allow that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I wasn't just cringing. And they weren't talking about names being remembered. Or swords. I love swords, but no. Um, So to cap this all off, it's going to be hard for me to rate this because it's such a sentimental film for me and a nostalgic film. I don't know what I would give it out of 10. What would you you know what you would give it? A 5.5 out of 10. 5.5 fireballs out of 10. (laughs) Um, I would probably... I'd, I'd give it like a solid seven out of ten, and like, uh, but I I should point out that I enjoy this film so much that, I mean, like it's it's far far from a perfect film, but I really enjoy it. Any film where we can sit and talk about it for so long <laughs> after se- like the fact that we can sit and have a conversation about it and it's making us think, and we have so many nice things to say, even though there are a lot of faults with the film, I think it makes it makes it worthy of a watch. It's better than indifference. Yeah. Because then we can make a podcast out of it. <laughs> I want Helen's flower crown. <gasps> yes. I feel like she had it. She had a lot of modern hair care going on. Um, I know you we mentioned did. curls early on. Yeah. There, was, there were some curls in there, but that's because there were a lot of curling irons in ancient Greece, apparently. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining me in my viewing of Troy, one of my favorite films. And I'm so glad that you were able to watch it in its entirety. Thank you for having me. And if people want to find out more about you, how can they find out more about you? Um, I have a Twitter that I don't use very often, and I've just don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> and I've just started a podcast called um, "Giving Me a Space." It's an audio fiction podcast, and Emily did the introduction for it. So I did. Thank you for that. Um, and that will be monthly uh, recordings. So if you want to listen to space comedy drama then give that a listen. Yeah. As they say in ancient Greece before they're about to... No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so that's the... Well, we basically talked we've talked a lot, haven't we? we talked their ears off. We, we did. Oh, no, no, don't don't open iMovie. No, quit. Uh, open iMovie. Quit. Do it. <laughs> quit, please, force quit.
We've been talking for 876 bars. Wow. That's almost as many chapters as there are in the Iliad. And in C major, apparently. This is my garage band recording skills at work here. <laughs>